Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. So, before we begin, it's not going to be a traditional sermon this morning, but you have some scripture in your bulletin, which is in the book of Joshua, chapter 4, and it reads, And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So it's not going to be a traditional sermon this morning, but what I'm doing this morning is I'm laying down some stones. So the point I want to make before we begin, after doing this for 25 years, is this is not about me at all. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone here in this room has been a part of that. As we remember what God has done over the last 25 years. And so with that being said, we're going to take a 25-year journey this morning. So our church was started in October the 12th. 1997. You've already met the three founders, Willard, Tom, and myself and our families. And we started the church at the SINS Activity Center. What a fitting place to start a church at the SINS Center. And I remember when people would ask us, well, where are you meeting? Well, we're meeting at the SINS Center. And everybody would always get a chuckle out of this. So we went that year from the fall of 97, and the church was always founded to fulfill the Great Commission, to reach others for the Lord Jesus Christ, and to equip the saints. And we've been faithfully doing that for the last 25 years, and we've used every different way known to man. But as we fulfilled the Great Commission... We had our first baptismal service in 1998. 
Over the last 25 years, I have baptized in hot tubs. I have baptized in swimming pools. I have baptized in our portable baptistry, which you'll see over in the fellowship hall, which basically comes out of a prison ministry. This group in Oklahoma makes these baptistries. And so this was our answer to have a baptistry here. And we'll talk about baptisms later on. But I never have congregational participation, but I want to today. So just be graceful with me, okay? If you were baptized in this church, if you professed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or if you had never been baptized by immersion, you decided to do that, or your family. So families, or if you yourself were baptized, would you please stand? It's a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. And we've been faithfully doing that. And the interesting thing about my ministry is that when I first started baptizing, I baptized children. That was the vast majority of the people that I've baptized. Something happened about 12 years ago that's been significant and, and quite frankly, a blessing. And we've come from all different past backgrounds. Here in this church, we have... A few Baptists left that have a Baptist background. We have Methodists, we have Lutherans, we have ex-Catholics, we have ex-Charismatics. We have people from all different walks of life. And over the last 12 years, it has been my honor to have people come up to me and say, you know what, I had a past denominational experience, but I want to be immersed in baptism. And for the last 12 years, The baptisms that we have had in this church, whether it's been through salvation, people coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, or people that said, hey, uh, this is something I want to do, it's been adult baptisms. And I think that's unusual in the fact that pastors can say that they've baptized more adults than, than children. This is something else that we've done to fulfill the Great Commission, and it has been an absolute blessing. We're on sermon audio 24-7. And this was started by Jack recording my sermon and Kathy, my wife, posting those on the website. But what's happened with our sermon audio ministries, first of all, since we've started doing this in 2012, over 37,000 people have downloaded our messages. In addition to the number, since 21, Sermon Audio is a technical ministry with Bob Jones University. What happens is if you go to school at Bob Jones and you get an IT degree, you are participating in the Sermon Audio website. And it's all conservative pastors. You have to be screened to be on the Sermon Audio site. And so in 2021... They changed their software. So this is just since 21. We have been in 47 states and 71 countries. In addition, the other thing that's important is that if you look at this heat map, here's your bar here below, and here's the the bluish colors are where you reach people. 
The interesting thing about this is, is if you look at India, Indonesia, as well as the Middle East, especially Saudi Arabia, we have downloads. Now, you could argue that the Saudi Arabia download is an oil field worker from America. Could be. But we consistently have people from the Middle East who download our messages. Why is that? Because they can do that from the security of their iPhone, and they don't have to risk losing their life for listening to the Christian message. This has been one of the best things that we've ever done. And I think that the one reason why we've done that, and in fact a guy reached out this last month from Ireland and posted some nice words on our site. But the reason why we've been able to do that is I think one of the main things is our church is built upon expository preaching. Now, this hasn't always been the case. I used to preach by topic. If you preach by topic, first of all, it will wear you out. But in addition, the benefit of expository preaching is that you are equipping your congregation as they grow in the faith of Jesus Christ and they understand over long periods of time the books that you are going through. And we have a joke here, and you're going to see this and what I've done. But in 2010, I've only been on four topics. In 2010 through 2012, I worked through the book of Acts. And it's hard to believe, and I look back at this and I go, is that right? It took me three years to get through the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> we then went to Hebrews, 2015 through 2018. And if you come next Sunday, we'll pick up Romans where we started in 2019. Not only do mature Christians yearn for Christian teaching in depth, but also the rest of the world is yearning for that. As this is becoming a diminishing resource. As we live in a world where we see denominations continue to drift away from the true word of God. We're committed to it. We're going to stand on it. And I believe that God will continue to reward it. I also, as I'm laying stones down this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a journey of how we ended up in this place. Because quite frankly, as I look back over the last 25 years, it's a story that is often repeated here. I still find it absolutely incredible that we are actually here in this facility We started off in the Sin Center from 1997 to 1998. And all of these kind of have a story about them. And for you young people, excuse me if I use you as part of the story. But I remember in the Sin Center, it was a good place, other than the fact that the senior citizens at that time felt like they owned it. (laughs) And we were constantly fighting This idea, the city owns the Sin Center, but the senior citizens at that time felt like they owned it. 
In addition, if you were to discipline a child in the bathroom because it was really loud, it sounded like child abuse. (laughs) And we just knew that we needed another place. And I have to say, over the last 25 years, we've always had a place. You know, sometimes I felt like that we were the children of Israel, but we always had a place. At first, when I started out, I was committed for us to stay in rented facilities. I just thought that was the thing to do. Well, you're going to hear more to that story in just a moment. Next, we went to the Belleville High School. That lasted a year. And the interesting thing about the Belleville High School, at the time, they have since remedied this, but at the time, the lighting was absolutely horrific. Absolutely. We had Sunday school in the cafeteria. We had worship service in the auditorium. And when I stood up to preach, and I'm not exaggerating, I could not see anyone's face. I preached into darkness. That was really difficult. And so we stayed for one year at the Belleville High School. Next place we went to was Faith Academy, 1999 to 2002. Now, I started to do something, and I've lost my train of thought, but I want to go back for more congregational participation. If you started attending this church or were part of this church at the Sin Center, will you please stand? Thank you. You may be seated. If you started attending this church at Belleville High School, Tammy, you were able to see me and I preached in the dark. So thank you. (laughs) If you started attending this church at Faith Academy, do you mind standing for us? Thank you. We next went to Concordia Hall. We stayed at Concordia Hall the longest. That had a whole set of issues. I'll never forget, and I think very few pastors can make this claim. Caleb would help me set up. One of the great memories I have, him helping me set up at Concordia Hall. And we were walking up, and you could see by the debris, I won't go into detail on this, but you could see by the debris in front of Concordia Hall that we might have an issue that Sunday. We opened the door, and what we saw was a group of tables after a wedding reception. The wine fountain still is the centerpiece. And it was as if everybody just stood up from their table with the food still on the tables, and they walked out the door. And the disco ball was still at the front. I hastily got on the phone. They gave me the people whose wedding was the night previous. I think I woke them up. I think I woke them up. And I said, you had a wedding up here at the Concordia Hall? Yes. I said, I'm having church in 45 minutes, and you got to get up here and clean this up. Miraculously, we did everything to where we could have church. And my claim to fame is, as I think very few pastors can say they ever delivered a sermon under a disco ball. (laughs) But I did. I did. It was at that time 
where we said, we got to have a place. And so one of the elders at that particular time, Cliff Collier, who's since moved to Waco, he asked me, he said, Monty, if you could pick any property in Belleville to have a church, where would it be? I said, it was this place, right here where you're standing. He reached out. He called them, called the daughter, one of the daughters, of the mom that owned this property. They were up in Dallas. She said, oh, we'd love that property to go to a church. However, my mom has been in a nursing home, and if we were to sell that property, it would go to the government. But when she passes away, we'll call you. I thought, well, there that went. Six months later, the lady passed away. They called us as well as 12 other people called that morning to buy this property. That lady, because she had a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, sold us all of this property for $40,000. It had a house on it. We gave the house away. The reason why I took this picture is there's the truck that's pulling that house. And just as a quick aside, it's hard to believe that man in that truck drove that house off that ditch. And it stayed in one piece. Family bought it, moved it down to Brown Belleville too, restored that house and lived in it. So we bought the property in 2003. Bonnie became our organist in 2004. We were talking about this. I said, Bonnie, when did you start here? Bonnie's always been here. And Kathy reminded me that Caleb was in the fourth grade. Bonnie was still teaching school. She was teaching fifth grade. I'd give the hymns to Caleb, and then he would take them to school and go to the fifth grade and give Bonnie the order of worship. And it's been wonderful serving together all of these years. Then we got to construction, and this is where the story gets absolutely incredible. At Concordia Hall, there was only 15 of us. And Tom and Betty Bourbon, who were planning to be here, but I didn't know Tom has some serious heart problems. But they were new members to the church. And we were sitting in Concordia Hall, and there were only 15 people, and we were taking a vote on whether or not we would embark on this. And Tom made the comment, this makes no logical sense whatsoever, but I'll vote for it anyway. And then we started this process of having the Texas Baptist men come and build this church. And we had them come in two different waves, 2006 and 2007. And that has radically changed since then, and you're going to hear more about this. But when they came, the average person to come and work on this church was 72 years old. And what you're seeing in this next slide is, is the first part of the remarkable story is this steeple. Now, this church sits almost identical to a church in Bryan. I called the pastor. I said, man, I love your... Well, I didn't call him. I went in. I said, I love your church. He said, hey, there's this guy down the road that'll give you the set of plans. And so we were given the set of plans for this church. 
And then if you remember Jim Bishop, I took the plans to Jim Bishop and I said, I would really like a steeple. It didn't have the right steeple. I would really like a steeple. And so Jim came up with this steeple design. Now, the first thing when we got here, the lead architect said, I don't know if I can do that steeple. I don't know if I can do that. I thought, I can't say anything. These guys are here building this church for lunch. That's all you had to feed them, lunch. I said, I can't say anything. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. If I get it, I get it. The next day, he said, I think I figured a way for you to have your steeple. So he built it on the ground. Now, since this was my first construction project ever, I did not factor in equipment rental into the budget. There's no way we could afford that. I have a friend in Houston who is in the AC business. He was here to install the ACs. And at that particular point, all I had was a big birdhouse that was sitting on the ground. I thought, how in the world am I going to get that up there? I wasn't there that whole day. He walks by and he looks at Stephen. And he said, how are they going to get that stable up there? He said, gee, you know, we just really don't know. He said, I'll take care of it. He had a crane. If you know about cranes, they're extremely expensive. You can see it's strapped to the crane. He had a crane leave a crane yard at Hobby Airport. The moment you leave, the clock starts ticking. They drove here to Belleville. He picked that steeple up. And you know, and one of the things over my ministry is I have mellowed over the years. And I used to push really hard for things. And sometimes that wasn't the thing to do. Here I really wanted the steeple. And here it was fixing to be installed and it was a heavy, windy day and the steeple was blowing back and forth. And every single guy up here at the base was at 75 years old. And I thought, oh Lord, please, please keep them safe. We got our steeple. We all have smiles on our face here. This is Jerry Olson over to the right, me and Caleb, and Tom Bourbon who couldn't be here. I don't know why I'm smiling at this particular point. This was in the fall. What's not shown is that Stephen Rogers and I had just finished boarding up all of these windows. Texas Baptist men normally only show up one time. Because I didn't factor in equipment costs. We were boarding up the windows. And I had no earthly idea how we were going to finish. I looked over at the second lead carpenter, which would second time be our lead carpenter. And I said, you got to come back. You got to come back. He said, we never come back. I said, we're out of money. You got to come back. He said, I'll tell you what we'll do. He said, we'll pencil you in between January and March. And if nobody calls, we'll come back. He said, but let me first give you a caveat. No one has never, ever not called. We always have people that come back. Came around January. Nobody called. They came back. They came back and we got to have them put the siding on the church. We got it to the windows. We got to take the plywood off the windows. And we got to finish 
the vast majority of this sanctuary because you had people from all different parts of the state who were willing to drag a camper out here and be supplied lunch. It was the most humblest things I've ever been through to have people come and do something for you. And here we have this building here because of them. The next thing that happened is somebody called the Baptist Standard in the spring when they returned. And what you see is this is the cover of the Baptist Standard. This is the article they did for us. After 10 years, church finally has a home of its own. I think the lead carpenter at the time, which we became really close friends, and he's since been here post-construction, I think he thought I was promoting myself. And he said, did you call the Baptist Standard? All of a sudden, these people get out of a van. They've got cameras, notepads. Did you call the Baptist Standard? I didn't call the Baptist Standard. I didn't know. I still, to this day, do not know who called the Baptist Standard. That came out on a Monday. I'm in my office. I get two phone calls. The first phone call. What kind of music do you play there at the church? Traditional. Do you have an organ? No. Do you have somebody that plays the organ? Now, Bonnie had always played keyboard for us. I called Bonnie. I didn't even know. <laughs> Did you play the organ? Yes, I prefer to play the organ. I called him back. I said, yeah, she knows how to play the organ. He said, I am having an organ built for you in Holland. He said, I can't guarantee that it will be here for Easter, but it will be close. The guy that is the representative will come by and take a look at your sanctuary to pick the right organ size. The guy comes in. He looks around. He goes, we're going to put a speaker room up here in the back of the church. That's what we're going to do. And he said, and I'm going to pay for all of your speakers. The next phone call was from a 92-year-old man. Right after this, Baptist Standard did a article on him. A church furniture builder up in the panhandle. He called me. Got any church furniture? No, sir. Don't have any church furniture. I'm sending you a pulpit. I'm sending you a Lord's Supper table. I'm sending you flower stands. I'm sending you chairs. He died shortly after. This is the last pieces of furniture that that man built. There again... Someone being placed within the body of Christ to serve in his kingdom. We still weren't finished. We had a check come in that enabled us to finish this back room from somebody that isn't a member here. I was still quite a bit short. I'm sitting there in the living room. Go out to the mailbox. I look at the return address. On the return address is the name of a great aunt that I had not seen in probably 15 years. I opened up the envelope. It was a check to finish this. I'm sitting there weeping, and my dad calls me. He said, what are you crying about? And I said... Anna Olita just sent us a considerable check. 
Yeah, I knew she was going to do that. At that particular time, more people that weren't members of this church contributed large sums of money for us to finish this sanctuary. In 2017, we had all of this little half acre right back here. In 2006, I wrote a letter to the lady that lived there. She was another daughter of the lady that owned the rest of this. I said, look, if you're ever interested in selling, we'd be interested, if we could afford it, to buy your property. 2017, we get a phone call from the daughter. We'd like to sell the property to the church. I can't remember what that was. It was something like $7,500, I think is what it was. I went to the closing. I walk in. She looks at me and she said, you wrote me a letter. I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, I kept that letter. And she said, I always knew if I moved, I wanted the church to have it. That completed our campus in a way that we never thought. And then Stephen and I were talking about this. If you notice, I'm a little bit older. I hope this was my last construction project. God may surprise us, but for two years, we had Texas Baptist men back. But they don't frame anymore. And the thing that I want to bring up about this is is that we are watching the graying of the church. And quite frankly, it scares me to death. Because the previous building, we had 30 men. Here, building this, it's changed so much that they don't do framing, they don't do roofing, they don't do siding. They do cabinets and they do sheetrock. And the group has diminished so much that they have to partner with church builders to participate in things like this. My friends, we need to pray for the revival of the church. Because what we are sitting in and we're participating in has been a 25-year effort with people in this room and people outside this room who wanted to see us succeed in our ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to earnestly pray for that because prayer is the only thing that's going to change that. It's not logic. It's not a redesign of the church service. It's called prayer. Prayer. And as we come together and as we pray for their church and our nation to be revitalized and and having a revival, we'll see God at work. Well, this was this year. This is at a retreat center out at Cat Spring. We're back to the pool where we had six adults either had already been serving the Lord and said, hey, I want to be immersed in believer's baptism, or we had people that gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell a personal story. I've saved this because I don't, quite frankly, think I could get through it at the beginning. 
When we started the church, I didn't want to walk up to Tom and Willard and say, I'm supposed to be the preacher. That would have been a little weird. God's called me to be the preacher. So, I was the temporary guy. But I had a prayer. I felt like God wanted me to do this. But in my prayer, I said, Lord, if this is your will, because I always struggled with ministry. Struggled with ministry since I was in junior high. I fought this for years. I didn't want this at one point in my life. And I said, if it is your will, make it evident to the people, and then I'll know my calling is true. Willard and I went up to seminary a lot, and we just never could find a good fit. We, we thought, you know, we'd bring people down. Tom and Willard and I would interview them. We thought that it would be a good fit. Never could get a good fit. And we were end up having a church meeting at the Sin Center. And in that meeting, we were talking about the difficulty of finding someone. And these three ladies on the front row, their family, said, why can't it be you? And the rest of the congregation said, why don't you do that? I'm amazed at the timing of God. I was ordained at Faith Academy. And 25 years later, and if I would have expanded that video to go a little bit longer at our first baptismal service, Sarah was there and I baptized her this year. God has been moving in our midst for 25 years. The people have changed. And people move on. When we were at Concordia Hall, we lost four people to moves that year. When you're a little church, man, that is tough. Four people moved. But God has always provided for this church. We don't pass a plate. But we've never had financial difficulty. People give on their way out. It's amazing when you have new people and all of a sudden they kind of clue in and they look and go, where do you give your offering? It's in the back. We've done that for 25 years. God's always provided. God's always brought people in. God always has people that partner with us in ministry. I think one of the most difficult things that I had to do as a new pastor is funerals. It was tough. My first two funerals were suicides. I was telling somebody that one day and they said, you did that bad? I said, no, they were really suicides. I used to hate to do funerals. That was the thing that I hated most. I loved every other aspect. I hated funerals. I've grown to see that it's such an important part of the church. And I've buried people here in this church that have just been so dear to me. But you know what? I'm going to see them again. I'm going to see them again. 
And what ended up becoming the thing that I dreaded the most was something that I do now without hesitancy. This summer, I buried my mom. Last summer, I buried my mother-in-law. Somebody said, how do you do that? Because it's personal. I'll tell you, serving in this church for 25 years, it's all personal. It's all personal. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll all stand at the throne of God together. We'll stand and we'll rejoice with Him. It's what we do. We just completed the nursery. In fact, getting prepared for this today was kind of like when you throw a dinner party at your house and you get everything cleaned up. We got to get the nursery fit together. I feel like that we've got all the tools to take that next step and reach more people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I'm so burdened with is, is, you know, we're fixing to have lunch. But when you leave during a regular worship service, when you leave and you look at this neighborhood, you start looking around and you go, who's at church? Who's at church? Hardly anybody's at They're all home. We have a mission. It started 25 years ago to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ, to equip the saints. We've been doing it for the last 25 years, and we're going to continue to do it so we can be a faithful servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we just give you all the credit and the glory. We know it's not us. We know it's all of you. And we're just blessed to be a participant in your kingdom, to serve in whatever way that you've called us to. I pray, Lord, for this church. I pray, Lord, that we may stay true to our mission and calling. I pray, Lord, that we may stand boldly and proclaim your truth without apology, without fear, knowing that you're on your throne and you reign supreme. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m., For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org. 